We're going to be talking today about urban street photography shot in New York City, but with a very interesting twist. I'm your host, Abigail Div, founder of the Sex Lab, an experimental media lab exploring sexuality. In today's interview, we'll explore the following. How did Dirty Archangel start shooting BDSM fetish street photography? What is the Shabari Project? Planning outdoor fetish BDSM shoots? How do you make them happen? And finally, the new print publication, Why Go Into Physical Format When Everything's Going Online? With me today to talk about his work in urban street photography is artist and photographer Dirty Archangel. Welcome, DA. Thank you so much, Abigail. Thanks for having me. Oh, welcome to the Sex Labs podcast. You have a very impressive amount of photography, not to mention experience in the fetish BDSM scene. And you're a master dom, all in all, a badass kinky guy based in New York City. But <laughs> let's talk a little bit about your background before looking at your work. You're an engineer by trade, a photographer by passion, and a hedonist by lifestyle. This combination of characteristics has translated into a set of projects that are uniquely your own. What drew you to shooting street photography? You shoot cityscapes well before you put people in them, right? Correct. I started with the uh, photography. Like you said, I've been doing uh, photography around New York City more than a decade. So photography was always my biggest passion. I mean, I couldn't make it to a full-time job, but I'll do it on the side. And EDSM came after that. When I started uh, writing about the EDSM poetry, uh, when I started uh, <clears throat> getting more involved in BDSM uh, community, it just, as I like the, you know, the, there's a creative mind, you just can't help the creative ideas just pops up into your mind. And I started having these ideas that take the BDSM out of the closed rooms, dark dungeons, and out of the sunlight because I like to express sexual desires and these kind of uh, kinky fetish ideas out in the open. Not in people's face, of course, but I like to mix them with my street photography skills and the scenes from the most beautiful city in the world, New York City. That's how it started. I was like, I need to show people, of course, also, you need to do something different to get people's attention. Everybody can get a beautiful model and lay on the bed and tie them up, do all kinds of BDSM photography. But when you put someone tied up in front of an amazing New York City view, that instantaneously gets people's attention. And that's how I started doing it. Great. Well, let's get into talking more about your more recent ongoing project. The project I'm referring to is the Shibari project, uh, which combines models in various states of undress with quite possibly one of the most dichotomous art forms for the sidewalk. I say dichotomous because it's by tradition, slow in pace, methodical, evolves over longer stretches of time in traditionally a very intimate domestic setting not exactly ideal for the fast-paced shooting style required for shooting the streets of Manhattan. How did you come up with the idea? 
Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that was another uh, creative, like, light bulb uh, turning on in my mind. I mean, uh, yeah, there are some projects you think about it and you try to come up with an idea based on something you saw, but this is just instantaneous idea came up in my mind when I first saw my uh, Shibari performance. I mean, of course, when you uh, get involved in the BDSM community, there are so many, it's a very broad umbrella. There are so many practices and Shibari is one of my favorites that combines the human body and rope uh, art. It's, it's just something amazing. Like you said, it's a slow pace, something you do over a time because you interact with your model, you interact with the rope artist. It takes, it's a sens sensational, sensual, slow pace performance. But of course, for my photography project, we had to change that. And when I, like I said, when I said it, saw my first Shibari performance, it just popped into my mind that uh, model and rigor just showed up in a, the, that the first performance we did in the Central Park Bow Bridge, that scene just popped into my mind. That was just in, instantaneous, something came up in my mind. After that, I started pursuing that project. Mm, so you had seen the bridge, I'm foreseeing, well before you had ever decided to shoot the bridge. Yes. And finding good collaborative partnerships with, as you were saying, riggers and models is essential to making this all work. Uh, how did you find your co-conspirators? They are the most important part because I'm the photographer. I tell them where I want to shoot and they create that magical scene for me to photograph. And when I started uh, looking for on Instagram models to in Shibari, so I tried, I started approaching them. I started to look a couple of models. I didn't directly come up with the, the uh, approach with the projects because it's a very uh, intimate project. So first I need to become friends with the models and stuff. So I found Gigi. She's a very sweet person. She's an amazing friend and model. So. After we uh, started talking, I opened up my project to her and she was so excited and she just jumped in. <laughs> Rigor is the important part also the, in the project because that person ties my model in very like dangerous situations and various locations in the street. So I let Gigi to decide who wants to be her rigor. Sam is her partner and we talked to him and she, he also accepted uh, with enthusiasm. And they're also uh, kind of daredevils and amazing artists. They're very experienced. They do amazing job. And I was just lucky that I found them to include in my project. Yeah, finding good collaborators, as I was saying, is essential uh, to making this whole thing work as there is many elements, uh, including timing and logistics to be considered. Did you 
carry a lot of equipment uh, besides your camera, of course, like lights, reflectors, lenses, while you were shooting this project? No, because it's a street photography. And the thing we do also is not so well received because, yeah, it's New York City, it's legal for a woman to be topless, but we push the envelope in this project. And that's why we need to do uh, guerrilla style. Go in, do the tie, take the photo and get out before anybody calls 911 on us or anybody calls cops on us <laughs> or run into any cops uh, walking around. Ooh, talk about the pressure to execute fast. Yeah, that's why I just have my backpack, my tripod, my camera, and my lenses, that's it. <laughs> and what about light? Um, as you're not carrying uh, a ton of uh, photo equipment in order to set the scene, if you will, you shoot really early in the morning when there's not a lot of light. Yes, we go before the sunrise. So that because also the sunrise, the blue hour, golden hour creates the most amazing back lighting for us. And I use a professional grade camera. So even in the low light situations, I can do a very good job with the equipment I carry. Mm, you have to be an expert at knowing how to manipulate light as opposed to supplementing it. Correct. Well, great. Let's get into the execution. You must get this question a lot, but how did you get away with it? Uh, it's one of the most common ones, having also shot street news and, and very public spaces in New York City. There is an entire skill set that is necessary to shooting very taboo material from what I found it becomes very much a spectator sport. People stop, they stare, they take their cameras out, they start shooting you as well. Uh, so there's a lot of coordination involved to not draw an unnecessary amount of attention as you're already going to get a lot of attention from it. Okay. Having models bound and suspended from bridges or standing in the middle of the street in just an underbrush corset is sure to draw a few eyeballs, no doubt. <laughs> Do you have a standard setup or formula for shooting? No, it's totally improvisation. I mean, I go to a location, I have, a, uh, I have something in my mind, I set up the view, put my camera, and I let Sam and Gigi to decide what they're gonna create in that view. Yes, and also the New York City is like, yes, the city that never sleeps, but I have my ways to find time and location that you're gonna run into very few people especially like you said we go very early in the morning you only have a couple of people going to into in and out of subway or just walking around we try to get into run into less people so we have less uh, headache yes the new york city people uh, they they are used to seeing every kind of weird things in on the street but we're kind of pushing the envelope here by also staying in the legal area. Like I said, in New York City, it's legal for a woman to be topless. So that's covered. And when we decide to shoot, if we're gonna do full nude, it's just very quick. We wait for everybody to disappear. There is nobody around. We go nude, I take my shot, it takes like 10 seconds. Then we uh, 
switch back. <laughs> so it's just about like how we get away with it. We don't get caught. That's the thing. Yeah, shoot fast and shoot also with mm -hmm. purpose um, as opposed to playing, if you will, with your settings and your environment, uh, which unfortunately street photography, especially New York City street photography, doesn't really lend itself well to. Well, location also plays a big factor, obviously, in terms of foot traffic and, and also how you conceptualized the shot. Mm -hmm. um, do you go for the proverbial Empire State Building in the background, or are you looking more for that empty side street? I did empty side streets and whatever that background gives me New York City look, but we are in the process of moving our project to include more iconic landmarks in the background. So we did like the uh, regular streets, you can see the new NYPD sign. They're dead giveaway, like anybody in the world, when they see NYPD, they know it's New York City. And when you include, include the, the city lights a little bit, it's all set. In one of the shots, we got the subway station in the background. So those are obvious New York City uh, objects. But I've been trying to find the location because once you start getting those kind of shots, I have to find really specific spots to have either Empire State Building or Chrysler Building or any other buildings in the background. But we're planning to do those kind of shots too. Right. And it obviously requires a lot of scouting uh, pre-shoot uh, to understand what angles you're working with to encapture Mm -hmm. iconic landmarks especially for talking cityscapes with the person and that balancing point uh yeah. speaking of which um a very nerdy question for you what takes precedent the landscape or the model as you were saying you like to incorporate iconic architecture and features like the nypd into your photography uh but how does that balance out with the model that you're also capturing they are so talented, they can do anywhere. <laughs> so that's why I picked the location first. For example, Central Park, the iconic, everybody knows that Bow Bridge. So I get that view. I set up my uh, view in my mind. I don't have to do too much uh, hypothetical thinking because I've been shooting around New York City more than 10 years. So I know a lot of, uh, almost every spot. So when I decide that we're gonna shoot here, I show Sam and Gigi what we're gonna shoot and they just do their magic. They just need a, a light pole or traffic sign, anything that can be tied to. <laughs> so they can work with, they can work with anything. Solid vertical structure seems to be a, a key then, mm -hmm. uh, especially with if you're tying and binding for the specific purposes of hanging, uh, that mm -hmm. you have some uh, very sturdy uh, structures, which certainly New York has plenty of. Oh, yes. Concrete jungle. <laughs> so speaking of shooting in the public, uh, what's your mentality? Do you take it uh, very laissez-faire of, you know, you come and I pass and I interact with the immediate environment, or are you actively engaging with the public? 
I try to stay away from public. For example, I had a shoot with my model, the Biscuit Witch on top of Brooklyn Bridge. Again, I go there without in the very early times of the day. Even in my New York City photography, I try to exclude people in my New York City photos because I'm in love with this city. I love seeing those skyscrapers, beautiful views. And I bring my model into that view and I just want my model in New York City. That's why I try not to uh, run into people too much. The less people, the better. <laughs> Yes, there's less certainly in terms of conflict, and I am sure that you have gotten a few choice words uh, from the public, depending on what you're doing. Have you had any experience with overly negative commentary that has ruined, if you will, this, the situation? Uh, we didn't have too uh, much of bad experience, but for example, if I'm with my model, the New York City people, like I said, it's, they used, they're used to half-naked women uh, on the street. That, nobody bad an eye when I'm with my uh, model and shooting. But when we do the Shibari project, the Shibari and women in rope, I don't know, maybe it's uh, uh, received as something that degrading woman or something's being done to the woman. We had a couple of interactions that, uh, especially from uh, women, that negative uh, interaction, they're like, they think that we are doing something bad. But again, Gigi is very professional and very uh, smart uh, woman. She was able to explain at that moment that it's not something bad or it's just an art form that you use rope. We had a couple of issues, but it nothing big. They just say something and keep walking kind of things. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, expressing an opinion and specifically within the, the BDSM and fetish world, um, it can be easily misinterpreted um, in terms Sorry. of the dynamic that you're playing out, especially since it's a mainly nonverbal rather, mm-hmm. especially because it's an, there's nonverbal communication that happens between the dom and his sub or between the rigger and the person who's being rigged. And if you're not intimately involved in that world, it could be easily misinterpreted, certainly. Exactly. The, the society is, has very distorted, uh, mis translated ideas about BDSM or Shibari practices. Well, hopefully it brings a little bit more to light about the beauty and the art form that it is uh, by capturing it inside of these iconic locations. Uh, And some of them are pretty exceptionally uh, planned uh, such that they don't even look like they're real. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So lastly, let's talk about this new publication of yours. It's a compilation of collaborative work you've done with models over the years, plus your street photography. Uh, The first volume is a celebration of the work that you've done with one of your models, Biscuit Witch, as you mentioned before. Uh, Finding trusting relationships feeds the creative outlet, which is very evident in the work that you created, um, and a full magazine to boot. How did you meet each other? 
Uh, we met through a friend. I was looking for some models. Yes, I work with a lot of models, but to me, having a one model who's at the same level of creativity with, creativity with me and in the same frequency, who's eager to participate in my project is very important for me than finding a lot of models to work with. I just found her on Instagram and we had a mutual friend. And from the moment we started working together, we realized we are at the same uh, frequency because no matter wherever I put her, she was so enthusiastic to work with me, either this Sixth Avenue in the middle of the rush hour traffic or Brooklyn Bridge. She's a very uh, creative and talented person. Yeah, and again, finding good creative collaborative work is, is essential. What can we find in this new publication? In my magazine, I try to combine my poetry with my photography. I always wrote poetry, but when I started getting involved more in the BDSM community, I tried to express my feelings, my emotions, and my approach to BDSM practices with my poetry. So also my photography evolved around that poetry because in my photography, I tried to depict or create the scene in my poetry. So for example, I have a scene that somebody tied up uh, trying to show the power exchange between dumb and sub. That's what feeds my photography. So in my publication, I combine these two. There are a lot of uh, publication around there solely focused on photography, but when you add also uh, literature, poetry, it, for me, it adds more depth to the feeling. Like I said, I'm trying to explain or give people more idea about EDSM. It's not just about dominating someone. It's not just about physical dominance. It's BDSM is power exchange between dumb and sub. My photography and my poetry combines this perfectly in the new magazine I'm publishing. So it is truly multimedia. Uh, it is not simply a photography magazine uh, or a literature magazine. It's uh, more robust, um, pairing the two together. Correct. Well, you've chosen also an interesting time to make a print media, as most media companies are moving away from print. So why go back to print? It's basically, I'm an old school guy. <laughs> so I'm not a screen artist. I don't want people to look at my art in their phone screen and just scroll back after five seconds. I want people to have my photos on their wall and look at that photo every single day or have a magazine in their hands and look at the lyrics, look at the words, look at the photography while having that paper in their hands. Yes, the technology is moving towards mobile, the screens, but I believe 
print publications will survive for long time. And I want people to have it in their hands, not on their like small screens. There is certainly something tangible and, and certainly different in terms of the experience that you have with the work, seeing it in a physical format versus seeing it on your mobile device, your computer, your tablet. I imagine that also plays into it in terms of the actual format. Correct. So many people still buys actual book, actual magazines. People still love that smell of the paper. This is exactly what I was thinking too, in terms of purchasing print media is, you know, you smell the binding and you smell the ink. And that for me is not only mm -hmm. nostalgic, but it's, uh, it's enjoyable to, as a part of the experience of reading or looking at the actual media. Yep. Also, what are you going to do when you're, uh, when you're out of church? What are you going to do when the electrics are gone because of the storm and you're just sitting in your room? Oh, look, there are magazines. <laughs> There'll always be a, a magazine at a hotel lobby. Uh, I've yet to see that become obsolete. Correct. Well, wonderful. Uh, and thank you, Dirty Archangel, for joining me today to talk about the Shabari Project and your new magazine. Thank you so much for having me. It was a genuine pleasure. And if you like what you hear, join me next week for another feature on The Sex Lab.